Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. Hey, guys. So quite the interview for you today. I have on Jan Groh, who is an advocate for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So she has it herself, and she's going to tell you her story. But it's basically a rare genetic hypermobility disorder where your tissues are too elastic. So this means they are usually quite flexible and stretchy and bendy. Now, where it can lead to problems is when joints pop out of their sockets too easily. Uh, you can get pain. You can even have internal organs like start to shift and get out of place. To use an analogy, uh, it would be like a skyscraper that instead of being built out of steel beams is built out of wood. Uh, the building's still a building, but now it's you know much more prone to sway in the wind and collapse and all that. So you might be asking, Lucas, why should I listen to an hour podcast on this rare disorder? You know, how does this affect me? Well, the disorder might not be as rare as most doctors think. There are multiple types of Ehlers-Danlos, and the most common type does not have a genetic marker making it easy to diagnose. Now, not only that, often other conditions like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue are diagnosed when in reality it is a hypermobility disorder. So Jan estimates that perhaps somewhere around 10% of the population has some type of hypermobility. And often people go through their whole life with, you know, IBS or bad teeth, painful joints, uh, nearsightedness, you know, which are all symptoms, and they have no idea that they may have some mild type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And if that's the case, there are supplements and other things which can be done that over time will improve their health. So I listen to a lot of history podcasts. I love, you know, learning about the Dark Ages and Rome but one of the things that bothers me is how often people are stricken with some illness with really no discernible cause. You know, people are born with a, a quote unquote weak constitution. Now, right now, I'm listening to Tom Holland's uh, Rise of Christendom, which is awesome. It's all about the Dark Ages. Uh, but one of the emperors, I, I believe Otto II, the second or third. Anyway, he dies of hemorrhoids, which is nuts because hemorrhoids is one of those one of these things that maybe happens more in Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And and so I thought, oh, I wonder if this guy had some kind of hypermobility. It, it just makes me realize that, you know, for all the medical knowledge we have gained these days, there's still so much more we do not know. Uh, as they say, you know, a, a problem identified is, is like 80% solved. So part of what I want to do with this podcast is give a voice to the, the cutting edge therapies and new theories out there. Anyway, this interview... Uh, definitely new ground for me. So enjoy uh, this interview with Jan. Hey, everybody. I have uh, Jan Grow with me today and a little bit of a interesting podcast, uh, learning about something that uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to know about. So uh, Jan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you're an author and you run the the popular Twitter account, O-Twist, uh, which is a really interesting follow if anybody's on Twitter these days. Uh, and you talk about kind of this mysterious unknown condition that uh, I think a lot more people have than they realize uh, called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So why don't we start off uh, by you telling us a bit about yourself and maybe kind of your history with this condition? Sure. Uh, Lucas, thanks so much for having me because this is a, a, it's not a rare condition. Contrary to what you'll hear from the medical, medical establishment, it's a lot of us are increasingly feeling it's not rare uh, it's rarely diagnosed. 
Um, everybody knows somebody who probably has this condition or a variation of it. Hmm. Uh, and, and all doctors have seen it, whether they know it or not, they just may not realize it or have recognized it. And I, I, I will admit, I myself hadn't heard a thing about it until um, I went suddenly from walking to wheelchair in three weeks, eight years ago in January of 2012. Um, I like to joke that the world didn't come to, to an end in 2012, uh, just my world as I knew it, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I took care of that <laughs> for y'all. <laughs> Gosh, I forgot even all about that, the whole Mayan calendar thing. Anyway, go ahead. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I I wasn't worried about worried about the world ending, but boy oh boy was was did my world come to a screeching halt as I knew it. And um, I had always had various and sundry issues through my life, even as a child. Um, but we could never explain them. Um, I, I I don't want to say they were subclinical, uh, but they were t- you know sort of subclinical, as in they didn't rise up to a level of concern. We would go to the doctor, we'd look for answers, but never find any. We often don't show things on scans until somebody fully dislocates or or has has a problem. And so um, I first suspected I had a, a hypermobile condition five years before in 2007 when I injured my upper back. Um, collating medical records at a at a large um, hospital here in Portland, and they were still paper based at that time. And so I would collate up to two feet of paper every day in a mad hurry because you had to get the charts ready and in order for any doctor to call for them at any time. So I was like a mad librarian, you know, madly publishing books. And all that twisting, I took out T three through five, and that was unusual because that happened within two weeks of starting to do that. And and I was substituting for my friend who was out after doing it for 15 years without a problem. So clearly my body didn't hold up as well as hers did and everybody else's. And I would, I would fatigue easily. I had, I was even diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome 30 years ago at the Harborview chronic fatigue clinic in Seattle um, because we couldn't find any better explanation for my waxing and waning fatigue and, and chronic pain. Um, I was one point shy of a fibromyalgia diagnosis of the tender points or trigger points. Uh, so, you know, I didn't get to to have that support. So I just got on with life and tried to do my best until I fell apart eight years ago, um, all of a sudden. And then it's like, okay, all right, she's not faking it. She's not just depressed. She's not just a woman. There's there's clearly <laughs> really something wrong. <laughs> you know? Is that a and, diagnosis and, these days? Well, we've 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 had all the scientific minds come together. You are a woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Seriously. I mean, ask any w- women, uh, you know, you meet is it's, we, we seriously get, you know, dismissed on, on a lot of our issues and complaints. And, and if, if, if you guys only knew, it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, um, but in any case, uh, uh, you know, you're just weak. I'm, I'm, I'm petite. I'm five foot four. And, uh, until recently I've never been very heavy. And so I was often seen as kind of a weakling and, and I was a weakling and, and literally, I'm not ashamed to say that because I had weak connective tissue, but I didn't know it. And as a child, I could do contortionist tricks. Uh, I didn't work for the circus, but at, at home, you know, on the holidays, I would do party tricks for the family. And we just never thought anything of this. And we're all nearsighted, all geeky, um, nerdy, you know, intellectual, um, academic types. My dad was an engineer. My sister became an engineer. I was supposed to become an engineer, but I, I think I have ADHD in hindsight and I kept jumping the fence for greener grass. So I ended up with a BA in liberal arts, but I ended up becoming a self, uh, taught and self-employed and successful access database programmer before I was done, which is what I was doing when I fell apart 
so suddenly in 2012. It started to come on in 2011 uh, noticeably. And then I, and then it, it was like in three weeks, one week, I'm like, anybody got canes next week? Anybody got crutches next week? Anybody got a wheelchair? And my friends are like, what happened to you? Wow. <laughs> What's going on over there? And I'm like, wouldn't you like to know, you know, wouldn't we all like to know? And, and so finally my doctor of 15 years at that time, who'd seen me off and on with all these various complaints and kind of, you know, dismissed it going, and eh, no, I don't think, you know, it's, this is anything big or whatever. He he's like, okay, you can go see the geneticist now. Uh, clearly there's something going on. And, and also my family history on my dad's side, I didn't know my mom's side at that time, but my dad's side of the family, the grow side snapped into focus uh, all of a sudden, because I realized that's why my aunt, uh, my elderly aunt, Kathleen, she's a Catholic nun. And so if I say sister Kathleen, she's not my sister, she's my aunt. Ah. But she had always had back problems and always used a cane or a walker ever since I knew her. And so that had to start in her 40s. And I'm 52, by the way. And so I, I fell apart at 45, uh, 44 and a point nine years old, you know, eight years ago. Mm. And um, she turns out to have fallen apart in her forties. So suddenly this all kind of snapped into focus and she and my dad and I all led the pack in terms of issues with our tissues, problems with our joints, pain, various signs of this. So that by the time I saw the geneticist on Valentine's day, 2012, um, I was able to put together a spreadsheet and it was really clear there was something going on in our family in a familial way. I was just the first to get diagnosed and the, my geneticist um, did a very thorough exam. It was a long appointment, two and a half hours. And thank God my friend was there and we, she appreciated the thorough family history. And the, I had speed read the couple of books that I could find at the time um, and, and studied, you know, the criteria at that time. And she agreed with me. She said, yes, I do believe you have some form of Ehlers-Danlos uh, at this time, I, as to what type you have, I don't know. I want to rule out two of these rare types. And back then we only spoke of six main types of this, but she said, if you don't have these two rare types that I suspect based on your family history, then you've got the most common type, uh, for which that we don't have a genetic marker yet. Um, so it's a genetic condition. It runs in the family and, the most common type, unfortunately, doesn't have an easy test. You have to do a clinical diagnosis, meaning they examine you and match you to a set of clinical symptoms and signs uh, that best fits. So, so this is you're you're basically saying this is a genetic condition. So you can't just get this. You know, you're you're born with it. Exactly. We, I'm I'm born this way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of different types, and the most common one doesn't really line up super easily with these genetic tests. That that seems kind of a bummer. It is a big bummer. It's it's a real huge hairball and a big point of contention as we speak because um, the the diagnostic criteria and the classification uh, scheme for this whole family of of disorders just got updated uh, to uh, three years ago in 2017 um, and for the first time in 20 years. So when I was diagnosed, we were working off of uh, the 1997 Villafranche uh, nosology. Uh, and which mentioned six types. And uh, so that wasn't so hard to wade through, you know, out of, you know, five of the types were really rare. And the sixth type, which was the most common, it wasn't that hard to, to differentiate, you know, there wasn't that much to wade through. But fast forward to 2017, and they've added seven more rare types into the official nosology, 
which is the classification scheme. And, you know, thir- uh, 12 of them are really rare. And the most common type still doesn't have a, a genetic marker or a test you can take. You have to do this clinical um, there's this whole little, um, what do you call it? Algorithm that you run. Um, you, you, you check, you have to check off all these criteria. You have to match a certain number of criteria on a checklist to pass. Okay. So, so real quick, before we go kind of, uh, farther, um, just for people who don't know, could you kind of tell them what this condition entails? Sure. So what, uh, the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes are is a collection of genetic collagen defects. And uh, so what happens is it causes issues with either the collagen molecules themselves may be faulty, so that even if uh, in the extracellular matrix of your of your connective tissue, it's what forms your connective tissue. It's kind of the glue that holds the body together. It's it's if you thought of your tendons and ligaments as rubber bands, it's what gives them the the snap back so that your Uh. bones and joints are held in place. And it also keeps your your inner organs, your hollow organs, and your your vasculature kind of tight. It gives it good tone so that you know you you can have good blood pressure and you don't have aneurysms, um, and you don't burst things. Um, people with the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes and the new um, diagnostic category that I'll be introducing shortly called the hypermobility spectrum disorders, we have weak connective tissue, and so what'll happen is. Um, uh, almost everybody is hypermobile, which is a, a a very specific medical term for having joints that go beyond normal range. We are the double jointed people. Uh-huh. We are the people that might be contortionists. We are the freaks and geeks of, of the circus. Um, <laughs> a lot of performers, a lot of ballet dancers, models, um, musicians uh, will have this because it can actually be uh, yoga instructors. It can be an advantage We're those, the, all your yoga instructors who have those amazing ranges. Uh, and you should be careful with that, by the way, mm. uh, there that's hypermobility, that bendiness that you see. Now I want to make a really pedantic point right out of the gate. Just because someone is hypermobile or bendy does not mean they have Ehlers-Danlos. It's just a flag to, okay. and a trait. So it's just something to to make note of. Hypermobility itself is just a trait like red hair color, for instance. It's something you're born with. Um, It runs in about 10% of the world's population across all ethnicities and backgrounds, all races. Um, It doesn't discriminate. It's it's everybody, all the different body types, everybody has it uh, in about 10% of the population. Not everybody, technically at this point, they, they say that not everybody who's hypermobile has a connective tissue disorder. Uh, such as the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes or any of, or the hypermobility spectrum disorders, which are newly introduced, or the other similar um, connective tissue disorders I'll also mention in a little bit. So what what happens is um, you'll have a family history on one or both sides of a lot of joint problems. It lends to early onset arthritis. Now, arthritis itself is an acquired condition you don't catch it like a, a virus or a bug, but it, it, it comes on later. You're not usually born with arthritis. Yeah. It's, it comes on um, with time. Uh, often, you know, osteoarthritis comes on with age and wear and tear. And so the other forms are acquired uh, with environmental stress and, and, and other things like rheumatoid arthritis and, and some of the other autoimmune issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's, and that's also a big red herring because what happens is a lot of the Ehlers-Danlos and hypermobility spectrum disorders are masked by 
arthritis and all the autoimmune conditions, including lupus and, and Sjogren's and um, uh, MS. Um, so people will get diagnosed with the comorbid, highly comorbid autoimmune issues first, and their rheumatologist will miss the underlying hypermobility. So when, when they're uh, hypermobile, are you talking about the muscles or like the tendons and ligaments and skin? Is it everything? It's a little bit of everything. Um, primarily, the, the tendons and ligaments will be weak and, and too stretchy, so to speak. Um, uh, so you, I, do you watch America's Got Talent oh, yeah, or sure. any of those? Did, do you remember Sophie Dossie? I don't believe I do. From a couple of years ago, she... She was a contortionist, really beautiful um, young artist who uh, came on. She was a hand balancer. Uh, she would balance on her hands on those little tiny like pedestal things and bend over backwards. And she could shoot a, a bow and arrow with her feet. It was really remarkable. Wow. Um, or another example would be, and almost nobody's heard of this because they're from the 40s, but the Ross sisters uh, did a number called solid potato salad. It's really weird. It's kind of freaky. Don't watch this before lunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so you'll see that we can be really bendy and some people can even just uh, like dislocate and pop back in their joints themselves. So this lends to some of the confusion that doctors have around us because sometimes they'll get a patient who like Sophie or somebody else um, can, can contort themselves um, really easily. And they can do these, you know, wriggle around and like Houdini, Harry Houdini was probably uh, hypermobile. That's mm. how he could contort himself into such small, you know, tight spaces um, and get back out again. Um, because he could pop, he was literally popping joints out, probably shoulders and maybe his hips. And, and that's how we can do these amazing contortionist acts. But what happens is with with Ehlers-Danlos, you have additional issues with your tissues. It's not just the bendiness. It's you'll have a lot of pain. You'll have you might have inner organ issues. Uh, people with uh, some of the more dangerous types, such as vascular, can rupture their inner organs and their vasculature. Wow. So the people who die of aortic aneurysms or a ruptured, um, you know, a dissected vertebral artery, or um, uh, they'll tear their esophagus or they'll have a bowel rupture. It's it's really pretty bad. So if you're if super bendy, you know, hypermobile, it doesn't mean you necessarily have Ehlers-Danlos, but if you have Ehlers-Danlos, is everybody with that super bendy? Pretty much, pretty much. There is a point of contention. This is a hot potato, political hot potato in the field right now. There's a, there's a, a group of us who are lobbying a hard uh, to, to the Ehlers-Danlos society and the people, the powers that be that are, that are um, making uh, the criteria we feel strongly that not everyone who has it is necessarily hypermobile. Um, you'll see a, in a family constellation, there'll be somebody like me who could be a contortionist as a child. I have actually stiffened with age. That's the other problem is that not, not, and not everybody does stiffen with age, but some of us do. I, I, I joke that I'm like the planet Pluto, who the poor thing, nobody consulted Pluto when we demoted it to a dwarf planet back in 2006, <laughs> right? You know, it, it didn't change a spot. It's still the same, you know, um, in the same uh, orbital, you know, orbit. And it, it didn't change its uh, mass or, you know, center of gravity or anything. It's just out there. We just changed our minds about it. We just said, oh, you're no longer a planet, Pluto. You're, in, you're a dwarf planet. Yeah. So I'm no longer hypermobile. I did, I guess I did change a spot technically, but I, I haven't changed. I'm still Jan, you know, uh, and I've just stiffened with age gotcha. and arthritis. 
and my muscles are all knotted and tight. Like everybody, every massage therapist I see and every chiropractor I see is like, God, you're really tight because my poor muscles are working so hard to hold my skelly together you know, uh, to make up for my weak ligaments and tendons. Okay, that makes sense. So what makes it so difficult to diagnose? Is it just the genetic component that they can't find or is it that they don't know about it? It's primarily a lack of recognition because in doctors' defenses, in their defense, and my own doctor's defense, I I, I forgave him. I, I literally, I, 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 in one of my early appointments in 2012 with him, I, I warned him. I said, you know, whatever I got is getting worse. And, and, and can I see the geneticist now? And he's like, yes, you may, you know, finally it's like, okay, she's not faking, you know? Yeah. Like, um, I said, hold your wrist out. And he's like, yeah, mind you, you know, we had a good, you know, working relationship. And I, and I very gently, you know, play, pretended to slap his wrist. I just kind of tapped it lightly. I was, you know, I'm like, what's that for? I said, for, for, for dismissing me all these years. And then I held my wrist out and I said, now slap mine. He goes, why? I said, for not complaining enough, for not complaining loud enough, because there's fault on both sides where sometimes patients Either in, like in my case, we stop complaining because we've gotten dismissed so many times that we just give up. We're like, oh, whatever. You know, I'm just going to get on with life and do my best and whatever. Or everybody does that because you're surrounded by your family members and we tend to be attracted to each other as friends and lovers. Uh, platonically and romantically, we seem to attract each other. And so you're surrounded by, by birds of a feather hmm. and or. Um, the doctors only know about, and in his defense, my doctor only knew about the grossest signs of the rarest types, aka the low-hanging diagnostic fruit. So they've been told this is really rare, and you're almost never going to see it. And in fact, that's why um, the logo that you'll see uh, on the Ellers Download Society website and a lot of websites that have to do with this involves zebra stripes because we've co-opted. Uh, the zebra, which is the rare disease mascot, because uh, the saying goes in medical school that upon hearing hoofbeats, you're told to diagnose and think horses, which is in the Western world, is the more common possibility, when in fact, um, we turn out to be those rare zebras. And so we're trying to get all the doctors to think zebras. Um, I have been leading the charge saying, I don't think this is rare. I really don't think this is that rare, at least not the most common type. You know, some forms are extremely rare, like in only 60 to 100 people in the world. But the co the collection as a whole and the most common type is actually quite common, in my opinion. And so I'm, I've, I joke and I even wrote a, a post saying, but I'm a horse. I'm really a horse. I'm right here in front of your nose. It's just you're not seeing, you know, th these it's, it's really common we are the frequent flyers in the medical offices. It's just that, um, and I'm going to quote somebody, we don't know who the author of this original quote is. We know uh, somebody who's quoted them. Anyway, it's, if you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues, you know, because they, they're thinking, oh, you should be in a wheelchair and you'd be you know, so afflicted from birth that you couldn't walk. And that's a, that's mistaken. That's a, that's a, they, they've been misled. And it's really unfortunate because while some, that's true for some people and some of the forms, some of the most rare forms, again, that's the low-hanging diagnostic fruit. That's the easy picking. They got to get out their ladders and go on up the tree. There's a ton more fruit up there. Um, but you got you to gotta do a little work. You got to go get that ladder and you got to go climb. So they're, they're not looking for it. And so like I, I ended up having um, 
in 2008, I started walking to work because I, I, you know, I was in my 40s and I thought, well, this would be a good thing to do. I had a job nearby about two miles away and it's a beautiful neighborhood. And I thought, why get a gym membership? Let's just walk to work. And, and, I, and I started doing that. In two weeks, I came down with neuromas, which are a, an outpouching of the nerves in your feet. It's kind of a nerve hernia. Hmm. And um, it was painful. And I, and I was like, suddenly I couldn't walk. And I'm like, huh, that's odd. I didn't know I had Ehlers-Danlos yet. I didn't even know I was hypermobile yet. Um, uh, and I went to see a podiatrist for my first time. And he goes, oh, yeah, you women, that happens. You know, you guys get these in your 40s. Um, just uh, stay off your feet, wear these arch supports, and see me if it doesn't get better. You know, in worst cases, we can do surgery, but it's not recommended. So, okay, I rested. I stopped walking to work. It got better. It, it, it you know, it receded on its own. But why would he have thought to look above my feet and notice I'm nearsighted, I'm bendy as I wave my hands, I have visible veins, um, crooked teeth, um, poor posture, hypermobile, mm. you know, he, and why would he think to look at the rest of my chart? He's only, a, he's a foot doctor. He doesn't look at all the other issues with my tissues. Yeah. So, so you mentioned a, a few symptoms there. What, like, how would someone know if they have Ehlers? Great question. Um, and, and I want to refer folks um, to my very juicy website page called When Else to Suspect EDS. All right. And I'll, I'll have those in the show notes. Sure. If you go to otwist.com, O-H-T-W-I-S-T.com, people can find uh, all of this. I have, I, I've tried to organize it for, for both doctors and patients in an organized fashion to make this, all these kind of questions easy to answer. But some of the common signs would be... Um, Again, the early onset arthritis, you'll have pain in your joints that isn't better explained by something like an autoimmune disease. And, and even if you have an autoimmune disease, you may have a history of hypermobility prior to it, um, a family history of joints. You might be nearsighted. You might have weak or crowded teeth, uh, fallen arches in your feet. You might have hernias, prolapses, tendonitis, bursitis. Um, chondral malacia patella, that's a fancy word for the, the, the cartilage behind your knees gives out quickly or easily. Hmm. Uh, I frankly suspect one of our, one of our former trailblazers here in Portland, uh, that's our basketball team, our professional basketball team, uh, poor Greg Odin. He just had chronic, chronic knee problems. The poor guy, he was a really great basketball player, but he went down with, with just repeated. He had this one trick knee that just kept going out on him. Real tall guy, big wonderful basketball player, but his knee just betrayed him. And, and I, I've never talked to him, but I, I mildly suspect him, you know, I'm like, I, I get it that there's a lot of strong force in basketball, but not every basketball player's knees give out like that. We are the people who injure easily. Uh, you'll, you'll tear, tear muscles and tendons easily. We bruise easily, really easy bruising. Um, in fact, uh, sadly, um, a lot of, uh, parents end up having their children medically kidnapped uh, as babies or toddlers, because we will, they will come, you know, they're good concerned parents and, and they're seeing this bruising on their children or their child is crying uh. and complaining of something. And they go in and if, because we bruise so easily, because, um, bruising is just burst capillaries. It's, it's a tiny little, um, it's blood that has pooled under the skin, um, from burst capillaries. Uh, we have weak, veins and arteries, you know, we are vasculature. And so we, we bruise easily. We get blood blisters easily. We have, um, nosebleeds easily. Um, 
So the doctors, you know, a nurse or a doctor will see a child come in and they see all these bruises and they might call CPS before they have done a, you know, yeah. a, a due diligence. Hmm. And so it's, it's kind of scary because I've had some friends have their children medically kidnapped and, and it's really traumatic for everybody involved. It's just really painful, really traumatic because it's enough to contend with the darn disease. Never mind trying to fight to get your kid back. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. And doctors, doctors will even fight with each other. Like, you know, if, if one doctor thinks you have Munchausen's, um, other doctors have to fight with that doctor to convince them otherwise. And so you have to build this huge case and, and it's, and it's hard. So, you know, we're really, and, and that's not to say there aren't cases of child abuse. We, we, of course, appreciate everybody's, you know, care and concern on that front, but I, I want to urge nurses and, and medical personnel to think twice when they, when they, if you suspect child abuse, check, just do a quick cursory glance. Do you see signs of hypermobility? Are they nearsighted? Um, when they wave their hands, do their, do their look for, um, Google flying bird hand sign. Hmm. You'll see that people's fingers bend back. I've also seen like people's, uh, you know, wrist, like, like they can bend their fingers back all the way and touch their forearm yes. is, I mean, is that pretty diagnostic? Yeah. 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 That's diagnostic of hypermobility. So it doesn't mean you have Ehlers-Danlos again, but it, it, that is a sign of hypermobility. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you'll have children that have a lot of GI trouble. We have a lot of um, IBS, uh, which is irritable bowel syndrome, unexplained IBS. Okay. Um, and actually fibromyalgia is my big red flag. I think fibromyalgia is a throwaway diagnosis um, because where doctors just, they can't, they don't have a better explanation because again, they were told that Ehlers-Danlos is rare. So if you're still walking and talking and, and you're, and you're, you know, high achieving, cause we tend to be really high achievers until we go down, yeah. they'll say, well, then you just have fibro, you know, and, and they, but they have no explanation for fibromyalgia yet, do they? And I'm like, I think I've found the man or in my <laughs> case, the Jan behind the curtain. <laughs> so what, what do the doctors offer? You know, if you, you have all these things going on, I mean, what kind of treatments are there? That's a, that's a great question. And, and I appreciate you asking it because sadly, too many of us are told, I, I see this every day in my support group online, um, people are dismissed with, well, there's nothing we can do about it. So why bother getting diagnosed? And that's, that's a real shame and a, and a tragedy when it happens. That's really a disservice to the, to the patients because the benefit of getting diagnosed is not only just validation, period. Like some of us, I mean, people, the, the top three causes of death that I, I have observed in Ehlers-Danlos, it's it, by itself, it's not generally lethal, but the, a couple of the rare types can involve some, some lethal problems such as ruptured um, vasculature, as I've already mentioned and other ruptured organs. But, um, the other top causes of death are complications of cranial cervical surgery. They might have to fuse their spinal cervical spines. Um, and people have had complications from that and, and died from that. And also depression, literally suicide hmm. because people, have been in so much pain and been so gaslit and so dismissed for so long that they just give up. They're like, screw this. I can't take it. And, and they, and they just succumb and, and it's sadly common. Oh, and the other uh, top cause would be gastroparesis, which is um, basically you have extremely slow uh, um, motility in your digestive tract. Your food does not move through your digestive tract at the normal rate. It, it stays in pools in your stomach and rocks there. It won't so you don't have di you yeah. you don't digest. Food, you get no nutrition and and it just rots and you get sick and it's really painful and 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 people will literally die of um, malnutrition even if they eat well. Even even 
with supplements and all kinds of things. So basically, if you get diagnosed, um, they kind of just shrug. They're like, we, we don't really have anything to offer you. Well, some, some do, but the ones that are smart and the smarter ones and, and we're, and there's, you know, word is starting to spread slowly, uh, thanks to the online community, uh, for both doctors and patients, you know, social media is really helping to spread this information. There is some supportive treatment and the smarter doctors are wisely, of course, you want to triage whatever your issue, primary issues are. Like if somebody has a you know, a, a bad hip or a bad shoulder or something in, and needs surgery or, you know, you, you want to pick the top issue that needs addressing. But but in general, the supportive therapy would involve things like, so from the palliative side, you would do things like bracing. You you would might need a wheelchair, some crutches or brace, bracing of a joint. There, we have, you know, elbow braces and wrist braces mm. and there there's something, there's ring splints for your fingers. Some people can't write very well, uh, poor handwriting because your, your fingers don't hold together well um, is a big common uh, problem in school. And so there's that. And obviously people will get glasses. Some people have their teeth fixed. Um, there's a lot of TMJ. That's another big one. You know, think okay. about it. What causes TMJ? It's the jaw being misaligned. You have weak um, tendons and ligaments. Um, people can get TMJ just from sleeping on their sides. They can take out their shoulders just from sleeping on their sides. So uh, from the palliative side, there's bracing and support. There's also pain management, which is very vital. And uh, sadly, not a lot of our issues show up on x-rays and scans until they get really bad. But there's also nutritional support. Um, not, there's no single diet that works for everybody. But we, we strongly recommend a nutrient-dense diet. Like avoid the standard American diet and all the fillers and all the... Yeah, all the junk. All the junk. I, I do highly recommend an organic, nutrient-dense diet that that suits your body. I'm not going to give any particular diet because every body is different. But you want to get, we tend to have poor absorption, even without gastroparesis. There's other causes of poor absorption in this condition. And so we there's a lot of our issues are are what they call the fancy word is sequelae or knock-on effects of malnutrition, even if you eat well. That's the crazy mind-bending thing. Mm. So the smart doctors recognize some nutritional deficiencies, and they might treat those. A lot of people have a comorbidity, a comorbidity called dysautonomia, um, which I consider, I call it the love child of weak connective tissues and mad mast cells. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so what happens is it causes dysautonomia, which is dysregulation of your autonomic nervous system basically think your automatic systems, your breathing system, your heart rate, your, your heart, your blood pressure, digestion, things yeah. you don't, digestion, you don't normally have to think about these things. You should not normally have to think about these things. You should not normally have to say, okay, breathe now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you have trouble, if you get lightheaded easily for after lying down, or you get lightheaded from a hot shower or a warm bath, um, you may faint easily and pass out as easily. Um, you just feel weak or your heart starts to palpitate and, and have tachycardia really easily. Uh, one of the common um, subtypes is called POTS, P-O-P like Peter, O-T-S, yeah. which my old, my old life used to stand for plain old telephone systems in the IT field, but now stands for, <laughs> get this, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, POTS, P-O-T-S. Um, not everybody has POTS. And, and you can have other types of dysautonomia and you can have more than one type of dysautonomia. Um, but we'll tend to run hot and cold really easily. Um, a lot of um, uh, Raynaud's, Raynaud's uh, syndrome and phenomenon, your hands turn 
cold. You get cold really easily. Your fingers will turn either white or red yeah. or blue. Um, poor circulation. Um, that kind of modeling that you get from livido reticularis. That's a, I can spell that for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so this is, I think dysautonomia is the result of the combination of weak connective tissues throughout the body. Okay. And, and when you, when your mast cells go off, what happens is that those are spread throughout the body. They live in our connective tissue and they may actually be the hidden player behind the hypermobile form of EDS, which is the most common form. We don't know, but there's a hypothesis, a working hypothesis out there. And I think it's starting to gain traction and I'm starting to give it credence also that that might actually be a big driver of the hypermobile form of EDS, or at least a lot of our issues is that when your mast cells secrete all these substances that they secrete, which is what makes you sick with allergies and causes the anaphylaxis uh, and pre-anaphylaxis, it messes with your with the extracellular matrix where your collagen is formed that might be lending to the misformed collagen and the joint. Because a lot of us get not just, we might be hypermobile from birth, but I notice, and a lot of my colleagues notice, when we have mast cell reactions, we we have um, flares of joint instability, which is different than hypermobility. Hmm. So instability is the joints will literally give out um, and come apart suddenly and, and more than normal. So it's not just that you're bendy, but hold together it's you suddenly start to come apart. So speaking of joints, are there, I don't know, natural things that you can do? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the market for joints, like, you know, glucosamine, chondroitin, hyaluronic acid, et cetera. Do, do any of those help at all? They can, but at its foundation, you can't cure a genetic collagen de- defect, or you can't cure any genetic defect technically at this point, you know, where they're working on CRISPR technology to, to try to rewrite genes for certain conditions. But that's a long ways off. Um, there's, you know, technically no cure for this. But in terms of supportive treatment, absolutely. Um, so we only at this point have what we call anic data, meaning anecdotal sure, data. Yeah. There aren't um, many studies out yet. And, and I know a pharmacist in, in London, um, uh, Lisa Jameson, um, uh, she's on Twitter as love in your love in your tummy. Um, she's really smart. She was trying to get a study funded because she herself, much like myself and another person I will gladly refer people to, um, have, have had some recovery and, and, and improved quality of life since falling apart through nutritional support and spe- certain um, supplements. And so the chondroitin, it, it's going to help certain people, but it's not going to, to help you build um, proper collagen. But when I got diagnosed on, on Valentine's Day 2012, which is why I can remember it, um, after the, at the end of this long appointment, I had the presence of mind somehow to remember to ask my geneticist. I said, okay, so I know there's no cure. What's my best strategy? And she said, you're smart and you're right. And she said, word on the street is people are doing best with high doses of vitamin C if you tolerate it. And... Um, which helps to lay in pro-collagen, which is the precursor to collagen. And the more you have, even though it'll still be faulty, apparently the more you have, the better. Mm. And I am now living proof of this because I am now walking again, albeit with a cane. And um, I can even do a little bit of gardening and I can um, I can even hold my camera again <laughs> and hold my iPhone again. Um, so I've re-strengthened. I'm still... Um, 
I'm twice the Jan I was in 2012, but I'm still half the Jan I used to be before 2012. <laughs> so I know I know there's a, a Dr. Diana Driscoll who talks a lot about acetylcholine, uh, which she says is kind of a crucial part of Ehlers-Danlos. Is that true? And and I know she's even used like nicotine, which is kind of an acetylcholine mimic. Does did those? I mean, does supplementing that work at all? So I, um, it, it's not specific to Ehlers-Danlos, but I think what she's treating is, is some of our comorbidities. Um, she, she's wonderful. She's both a fellow patient and a therapeutic optometrist. She's a doctor of optometry and her husband's also a doctor and she's really smart. And she was one of my first, um, sources of information and helped me to put the pieces together. And I'm so grateful. She's really lovely and articulate and funny. Um, and she has, uh, they have now established a POTS clinic. So POTS, that dis- form of dysautonomia I mm-hmm. mentioned, because she and her family, her kids were very afflicted with POTS. She was disabled, you know, badly from it. And she, like many patients with this, which is something doctors are always surprised by, were a lot of patients who aren't even doctors are very, very smart. And some patients are also doctors. And she drilled down in the literature and she she biohacked and figured out for herself and her family that indeed there's a subset of people who, um, and she's done a small study on it where apparently that acetylcholine does help uh, some of the patients who have POTS. We don't, it's not going to help everybody, but it helps a large percentage. It was a really um, great result. Um, So if you don't have POTS, I don't know that it will help you. I don't have POTS. I was POTSy briefly at the height of my onset cascader storm in 2012. I started to have tachycardia and I even had a, a period where it was just weird. It was like I had molasses in my veins and I couldn't move. It was just bizarre. My friend calls it the creeps where you just literally get stuck. You're like, I can't move. And I was literally leaving my doctor's office one day and they're like, do you, do you want a wheelchair? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I was really stubborn, um, you know, proud, independent, stubborn German, but I, mine was improved as soon as I started to take, uh, to increase my potassium intake and, and as well as magnesium. And I've done, I haven't been potsy ever since I, I'll have periods where I'm, I'm kind of woozy, kind of borderline potsy, but I don't get tachycardia anymore. And I don't go down nearly as hard and bad as most people. I haven't the acetylcholine. It may very well help some people who have, have pots and it would be worth pursuing, but it's, it's again, that's secondary to the Ehlers-Danlos and the mast cell activation. So um, in my mind, if you work on, like I would, if you can take vitamin C and I say, if, because some people react to it, you know, no, there are no panaceas for any condition anywhere. If you think about it, all doctors are making is educated guesses. They're they're very well educated guesses, but they're educated guesses. Anytime they prescribe something to somebody, even they, with all their wisdom and knowledge and years of training, still don't know if that patient's going to tolerate it or not. They don't know if this dosage will work or not. They don't know if that patient will have a reaction to it or not. It's always trial and error for both prescriptions and over-the-counter remedies. So I tell everybody, always start low and slow with anything yeah. until you know. And 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 consult with your doctors to avoid, you know, always consult with your doctors because you want to be aware of interactions. So you can have drug interactions. Um, there's even drug and food interactions, um, you know, sometimes. So you just got to be kind of careful. So do consult with your doctors. But I'm lucky. I tolerate cheap o- over-the-counter vitamin C and I have decent digestion. I'm benefiting from it. And I got better on vitamin C and high-dose magnesium and some potassium. And I've I've also done some other things. 
the people with POTS may well want to consult Dr. Diana Driscoll. Um, one, one thing I, I probably should have asked you earlier, uh, is there a mild form of Ehlers-Danlos or is it kind of just like all or nothing? Like can people like have it a little bit? It does fall on a spectrum. So that is part of the confusion and part of the reason why so many of us are getting missed. And it also can vary. So some some of the rare types, such as um, arthrocholagic and dermatospractic and um, vascular, and um, uh, there's there, there's a bunch of new super rare types. Um, those folks are super, super rare, like maybe 80 to 200 people in the world at most. <laughs> so probably not listeners. <laughs> well, some, you never know. You, you this never is know, the I guess. So we, we don't know. But those folks tend to be afflicted right out of the gate at birth. They will be born, they might have bilateral hip dysplasia, floppy babies, um, low low muscle tone, weak lots and lots of problems right out of the gate. And, and, and you'll know right away your child, something, ha- you have a problem going on. And if your family isn't already diagnosed, the, the, the most common type, the, the real bummer here is that the most common type by far, this hypermobile type out of the currently 13 officially recognized types, more types are being discovered as we speak. And there's, I already know of a 14th really rare type, but it's, it's not in the official nosology yet, but you know, so they're going to keep adding to this, to this opus, you know, of, of hyper of EDS forms because, you know, they're constantly snip hunting research is always ongoing and, and we're trying to find all the different causes, including for the hypermobile type. As we speak, there's a large hedge study going on uh, internationally. They're trying to, to root out, you know, what is this cause of this hypermobile type that we have to clinically diagnose still. And indeed that's the whole problem is it does the hypermobile type at least does fall on a spectrum we tend to be the hardest to diagnose. We are the ones who, who, who get overlooked and missed because again, if you don't, if you can't connect the issues, think connective tissues, we've siloed the body so much that the podiatrist doesn't talk to the dentist who doesn't talk to the eye doctor, who doesn't talk to your gastroenterologist or your neurologist. So someone, someone could have a real mild form of this and basically live their whole life and just have no idea that, you know, the IBS or whatever that they had is from this. That would be my family. Yes, yeah. I'm the first in my family to get diagnosed. And I only got diagnosed finally at 45 because I fell apart so mm. badly. And why I fell apart so badly, that is a little bit rare and unusual. So I want to just kind of reassure everybody out there, like, don't panic. Mm. <laughs> you're not necessarily going to enjoy my experience of this. My, my geneticist told me, she said, your onset cascade is rather rare. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, and I'm like shattered in a wheelchair and I, I I mean, literally I woke up one day and I went to roll out of bed and my SI joint split and, you know, and I literally couldn't hold my iPhone in my fingers. It was just horrible. Mm. It was just, um, super, super weak, super fragile. So if someone listening to this goes like, oh my gosh, like I totally have that. What, what is their first step to take? So I would, um, it, chances are then they're the first person in their family to suspect it and to di- to want to diagnose it. And so I would try to gather as much family history as you can. And I do realize that, you know, we have a lot of, you know, dysfunctional families out there and not everybody's talking to each other and, and <laughs> there's a lot of divorces and this and that. <laughs> yeah. So just do your best, you know, gather what you can and you, you're not going to get a hundred percent of history on everybody. But like as happened with me, it was like, oh my gosh, no wonder my dad had, um, he had, uh, his teeth wore out really easily. He had receding gums. He had crook neck thumbs. He had hemorrhoids. He had, he was really nearsighted. 
my cousins are super duper nearsighted. One of them has Coke bottle glasses, you know, really super thick yeah. uh, nearsighted lenses. Um, and, and so gather that family history and I would, I would, and to bring to your doctor to help them suspect with you. And I would point your doctors to the, to the EDS toolkit for doctors that I actually helped co-author with uh, Dr. Emma Reinhold in London. She tapped me because of following me on Twitter. She liked my writing and, and how I expressed things. And I, I seem to bait the hook really well. I, with, with, you know, doctor scented bait. And <laughs> yeah. It's a great, it's a great Twitter account. People should definitely follow it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, and so she tapped me to be a, a fellow pa- a patient expert uh, on to develop this EDS toolkit for doctors, which is kind of like a cliff notes online for doctors to get up to speed really quickly on when to suspect and how to diagnose this. And um, uh, I can give you that website. It's because it's kind of a crunchy one. Sure, shoot, shoot it over to me. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll shoot. I'll shoot that over to you. It's it's hosted by the Royal College of General Practitioners in London, and and. So I would point your doctors to that, and I have that on my website as well in many prominent places because I'm I'm not only am I proud of it, but it's really frankly just really useful, uh, and and also an authoritative um, source. And and then the other thing I would urge them to do so that would help to get their doctors up to speed really quick. If their doctor is like, well, you know, I don't know about that, then give them that website and let them go, um, you know, do a crash course real quick. And then the other thing I would do is to find your local support group uh, if there is one. And if not, my friend John Furman in Ohio uh, is happy to help people set up new support groups. Like literally, if you're out in some area that you're maybe out in the boonies or kind of out in the country or away from, you know, a a population center and you're feeling kind of isolated and you can't find a, a local support group very easily um, and you want to start one, he's really happy and really good at helping people to start support groups. And his website is edsawareness.com. Mm. Um, and he and so there's a bunch of support groups all over the world now, uh, both through him and as well as the Ehlers-Danlos Society. And that's the I recommend joining the support groups as well as online, both on Facebook and I'm like I'm now on MeWe, which is an alternative to Facebook for those of us who want to get off of Facebook. Um, I'm running both. I have a group in both places as well as on Twitter. And um, because then you'll find you can meet your fellow patients. You can stop feeling so alone and stop feeling crazy and, you know, compare stripes, so to speak, literally in person. And then also find out like the lay of the land in your area, who are the best doctors to see. And um, so basically get, get diagnosed, look at your family history, find a support group. And then, you know, I always try and figure out a way that, you know, you can move forward in a hopeful way. Uh, You're saying like some of these things like vitamin C and magnesium and maybe some joint stuff is going to be pretty helpful. Yes. And I would actually reverse that list that you just gave and put get diagnosed at the end of it. You want to find the support group uh, first and find the doctors first, gather your family history first. That's all going to help you get diagnosed. And then you'll get, and then hopefully you get diagnosed and please think long game, think marathon, not sprint, because I know you might have had a lifetime of issues like I did. I mean, it took me 25 years from my first major complaint of lower back pain in my, at 20 and IBS at 20 to finally get diagnosed, you know, 25 years later at 45, only after I fell apart. You shouldn't have to go through okay. that. That's that's why I'm blogging and writing and tweeting. And thank you so much for this podcast because you're you're going to help speed the process for other people. The more awareness we get, um, and then um, 
as as far as hope and help, I do think you know it is a, it's a tough it's a tough condition to live with. But if if people stop and think about it, first of all, you've already made it this far, right? Your record for making it so far is a hundred percent, right? Yeah. If you've gotten this far without the support and without the validation and and diagnosis, you can you you can make it the rest of the way. Okay, you now have some information. You now have some support. And even if you don't have a diagnosis tomorrow, we, my group, at least anyway, I welcome all comers because I get it how hard it is to, to get diagnosed. It can take up to a year or two to get diagnosed. Even when you have like tons of evidence, it may take a while to find a doctor who's willing to recognize and, and, and refer you or to, mm. to, you know, to do it. I mean, it just, it really varies depending on where people are. Um, everybody, the Ellers Dallas society, myself, and, and the NIH in, in London uh, with the, you know, the EDS toolkit, we're all trying, there's a lot of people and there's some other organizations that are all trying to, to increase awareness. And I'm not the only um, blogger out there. I may just be one of the most uh, humorous and vocal ones. Um, <laughs> so I know we're coming up on about an hour here. Uh, I know you're writing a book. How can people get it? You know, what's on your plate next? Sure. I thank you. I am. I've been trying to write this book for seven years now. <laughs> and and I'm being thwarted at the moment purely by just um, poverty. I, I'm on disability and I'm not able to work reliably. And I because of my low income and my high rent here in Portland, Oregon, um, I'm struggling with, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I what I most need is some support, which people can do on my Patreon site. Uh, so I, a little plug there. Yeah, we'll put it but, in the show notes. Um, thank you. Yeah. And I'm trying to get this book out because uh, I want it to be relatable. I, I don't feel sorry for myself, not at all. And in fact, um, I feel really lucky and blessed because I was given, you know, a, a great um, analytical mind. And, and even if I have weak connective tissues, I was given a good, strong internal backbone, so to speak, you know, the, the, the piss and vinegar needed to get through this mm. process. And, um, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. Not everybody has that. Um, and, uh, I'm also continuing, I'm on something called the CUSAC protocol, C-U-S-A-C-K, uh, that's that's Deborah Cusack's last name. She's a fellow patient who also has biohacked a solution. Um, and she has a website, which I can give you. And she has a Facebook group. It's a wonderful, warm, welcoming Facebook group. We have the most inspiring, amazing recovery stories in there. Um, even a vascular patient who um, uh, her, the mother of the child said, that her son was doing so well on this protocol. He's not cured. Nobody's cured, but we get better. We get stronger and we can endure more and we injure less and we rupture less. And we, you know, we, we just start to hold together a little Real better. Quick, what's, what's in that protocol? What's in the protocol is she uh, drilled down and discovered a polysaccharide uh, recipe that um, seems to help it, huh. it. She just, she's really smart and figured out in the literature, uh, polysaccharides help to support the extracellular matrix where our collagen is formed. And uh, for whatever reason, and I think this is even um, some of the fibromyalgia groups have been uh, finding the same thing. I, they not necessarily known as the QSEC protocol, but I think um, there's some crossover uh, discovery there. And so I'm taking, for instance, uh, the main ingredient uh, that she recommends is a hundred percent fractionally distilled aloe vera juice. Mm. And I'm, and I, 
put, I, I said hundred percent fractionally distilled upfront on purpose because it's really key to get that exact form. And, and through trial and error, she tested on herself and her family. So, you know, an N of four, um, over several years, they tried everything and she tried all different types of it. And she said two things. One is you won't react to, so some people will still react to, to even this hundred percent fractionally distilled form, but it's the best type for the majority of us. It tastes like water. So it doesn't have the, 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 the stuff that most people react to in aloe vera juice. It's not your usual cheap aloe vera juice that you can find on the, on the shelf. You can find it over the counter. It's just, it's very special. And the brand is George's, George's, the guy, the guy's yeah, yeah, name, George's. George. Gotcha. And then additionally, um, also she dis- discovered a probiotic called L Ramnosis. Uh, so Lactobacillus Ramnosis, uh, the brand name is Culturel. You can find that over the counter and it has antihistamine properties and it seems to really even out the gut problems. It, it, it will help um, lower some of the IBS and it will lower the histamine levels, which is we have high histamine levels with the mast cell activation. Uh, if you Google histadelia, a lot of people are going to go, oh, my God, you just described my mom or my dad or me. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of bipolar is is, is actually soft bipolar and it's really um, histadelia waves. Interesting. So it sounds like there's something you can definitely do. Absolutely. And and I've gotten better. I've been on the CUSAC, pro- CUSAC protocol myself for about six years now, and I'm positive that I'm doing as well as I'm doing. I'm not cured, but my friends can all tell you they've literally watched me. It's like watching your hair and nails grow. You don't get better overnight, right? Mm. But talk to me in a month or two and you might need a trim. <laughs> <laughs> so so kind of like watching your hair and nails grow, your body is constantly turning over cells. And my geneticist said this too. She said, you know, that vitamin C, you're not going to be cured overnight. You're not going to feel a difference overnight. But she said, talk to me in five to six weeks and you'll probably notice a really subtle shift and difference. And that is exactly what happened, which is why I'm so um, um, uh, positive and sure of myself in that there can be, if people can digest things, some uh, positive results for, for many people. For those who have terrible digestion or can't digest at all because of gastroparesis and other issues, um, I want to point you to my friend Madora Pennington's blog. She's a fellow um, Ehlers-Danlos patient, and she lives in LA, and she has a wonderful story of recovery. She's amazing. She went from bed-bound, completely bed-bound, from childhood to traveling the world (laughs) on vitamin C shots. Okay, so IVs. Yeah, not IVs, but shots, injections. She treats herself like a burn patient, mm. um, literally with daily injections of vitamin C. So actually C like up, into the muscles? Into the muscles, oh. intramuscular uh, C injections. And and her whole her blog is lessflexible.com, lessflexible.com. And she spelled it all out on there. It's really a wonderful story and exciting. And the only reason I'm not doing vitamin C shots yet is just because I'm too oh, poor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I need to get my doctor to, to be on board and to prescribe it. And I think if I had the money, I would, I would turn, go to my doctor tomorrow yeah. and I, my, my doctor knows me and, um, is on board with her, you know, we, we discuss things and, you know, make sure it's going to be safe. Um, but they're happy to work with me now because, um, I always, you know, I, I hold them blameless, mm. <laughs> you know, like I'm trying this, this is my idea, you know, and, and, uh, some things work, some things don't. And I react to some things, you know, I can't take all of the QSAC protocol. There's other components than what I mentioned. Um, okay. 
But those are two of the biggest that I would recommend people start with. So there's some hope and help for this. And and oh, oh also the last therapy I would recommend also that doctors can um, prescribe is prolotherapy, hmm. which people in the sports field will recognize. It's common in the sports field for sports injuries. You literally get uh, the cheap form. It uses sugar water. They literally inject it into your tendons and around your joints. And it causes a healing crisis that literally causes your tendons and ligaments to tighten up. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I should do a whole podcast on prolotherapy because I know my, yeah, my mom exactly. did it for her. She had a bad shoulder and it worked fantastically. Never had to get surgery. So that's that's a really cool therapy that's out there. Exactly. And there's different types of it. You can do a whole podcast on it. And and of course, it, you know, I highly recommend the better, the best form that you can get, which is the uh, platelet rich, platelet rich plasma therapy, but it's expensive and it's a medical procedure. And it's, so it's hard to get, but I have a friend who, another friend in Southern Oregon, who I watched go from bed bound to walking again and with, with this, and it's just a remarkable recovery. So, so there, there is some hope and help. Um, and, oh, and another young woman in Texas, um, did well with, um, uh, stem cell therapy, Mm. And I haven't looked into that. I haven't. I can't afford any of, of of these things myself yet. And I don't know how she's doing now. This was about five or six years ago. But she she had a remarkable result with stem cell therapy. She's again nobody's cured. We can't rewrite our DNA. Yeah. But there seems to be again anecdata data um, a, a lot of benefit from nutritional support, the prolotherapy, this stem cell therapy, it's, which is helping a lot of conditions, um, has a lot of hope for a lot of conditions. Uh, including some autoimmune things. So, and then I would support your immune system as best you can, because we seem to come with, for whatever un- unknown reason, uh, a ton of, uh, we have really weak immune systems and tons of allergies, as I already mentioned, yeah. which is a whole other podcast. <laughs> for sure. Well, well, let's wrap it up there. Um, so Jan, thank, sure. thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for helping raise awareness of this. I like to say we put the sin in syndrome. Wow. That was quite the interesting interview. So a lot of show notes to go over if you are interested in learning more and uh, checking out Jan's site. I thought the CUSAC protocol was particularly interesting. You know, it's it's funny. When I worked at a health food store, we sold tons of George's aloe. I mean, I, I never tried it myself, but people seem to love it, you know, for a variety of conditions. And I remember it just tastes like water. And I always thought like, is this actually anything? Anyway, it just makes me wonder how many of them might have been hypermobile or have Ehlers-Danlos. So uh, I just love doing this show and learning more and more about the human body. It's awesome. Okay. Thanks for listening, folks. Go to quackspodcast.com where you will find all the episodes and our Amazon banner uh, to shop through if you want to help us. You can follow me at quackspod on Twitter if you want daily updates, uh, interesting studies I find, and occasionally the uh, clever comment or quip. Shoot me an email at quackspodcast at gmail.com with questions or show suggestions. Be well.